first, first and third Sundays. Or as Sean said it, the Trinity is the three in one, the one in three. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you. You're so good. All right, let's make these a little bit higher. This is good. This is good. Aren't you guys excited to see what happens with these? Props always make me a little nervous. I've never done live animals, but that, there's probably a reason for that. But All right, so I want to say hi to Ken and Angela. Where are they at? There they are. So, yeah, Angela's our children's pastor. She got married to Ken. Their uh, marriage looks good on you guys. So they just got married a few weeks ago. So, so good to, good to see you guys. Welcome back from the honeymoon and all that good stuff. All right, let me introduce to you the characters today. Coming from the white cloth, we have God. No big surprises there, right? All right, anyone want to guess who the black cloth is? Hold on, we are not making God lower. <laughs> you know what? We're, okay. Yeah, we're switching stands here. Again, I said props make me a little nervous. This is why. These kind of things happen. So, Oh, sheesh, thank you. Well, I'm glad the advanced group showed up this morning. This could be a disaster. All right, we're going to make... Okay, we're not moving that one. Just pretend it's a little lower. Okay. Anyone want to guess what the black represents? Everybody say boo. This is the devil. He should be a lot lower, but I don't want to hurt my back. All right? The purple represents authority. Oh, nice try. All you people, no orphan spirit on you. That's me. Purple's me. That's who that is. We'll get to that in just a second. And then we've got the Snuggie. You guys remember the Snuggie commercials? Those commercials are always a little bizarre to me. Like they show like the family sitting there in the Snuggies. They look like a group of Druid priests ready to do some weird pagan ritual or something like that. But what better to represent the Snuggie? And uh, last time I saw it, it had a mustard stain on it. So that pretty much represents stained humanity, doesn't it? Like in need of it, so... Some of you are a little cold. You wish you could have this. Okay. Oh, we've got the characters. Let's start with the big picture. Genesis chapter 1. I want to talk to you guys today about spiritual authority. And I want to give us a picture of what we were assigned to do. You know, Jesus did not die and rise from the dead so that the church could meet on Sunday morning and have a good service and go home. His plan's always been the same. It's not like, oh, after the cross, it's like a brand new plan. Let's look at what the plan was from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Isn't that interesting? A picture of the Trinity right there at creation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Women, aren't you thankful you got authority over creeps? I want you to see that mankind was, uh, there's kind of a threefold commission here. And it's not like three different commissions. It's like one commission with three dimensions here. And so here, um, we're created in God's image, in his likeness, and we're made to subdue. Mark, so good to see you. I'm sorry. Thank you for sending me that video of you doing the worm at the wedding. I appreciated that. Sorry. It's the props. They're making me nervous. They're making me talk a little crazy here. We don't want a limited life. We're not trying to just like live out one part of this commission. Okay, I want all that God has us to do. And so let's look at the first part of the commission then before we get to our characters here. Is um, God created man in his image. This is so that we could relate to him. Okay, we can have a relationship with him. You can only have a relationship with like beings. Now, how many of you guys have dogs? Now, I know your dog is a different. But um, 
you, you can't really have a relationship with your dog. Your dog doesn't, I know, I know I'm losing a lot of the room here. I'm losing a lot of the room there. Yeah, we're not even getting into cats, you know. They're, they're, there's only one cat in heaven, and he's a lion, all right? So let's just, let's just put it that way. But let's just stick with dogs here for a second. Now, listen, you can have fellowship with a dog, you can enjoy them, but you can't have an intimate relationship with a dog. If you were to pour out your heart about your week to your dog, your dog would not understand. Your dog would be thinking, can I get some belly rubs and maybe go for a walk? That's the limit that you're going to get, okay? But you can have a relationship with someone who is in your image, okay? And so God created us in his image so we could actually have an intimate relationship with him. Okay, I, I should have maybe, maybe I should have left the dog illustration out. You know, if there was a second service, we'd, we'd use something different here. But listen, I want you guys to get this. Part of the original commission was friendship with God. That's, that's always been part of it. We're not these servants. We're not these robots who are just doing things. God was looking for sons and daughters and friends, okay? So our primary calling is fellowship with God, friendship. And so um, life's not going to work outside of a, relation, uh, a relationship with God. We'll get to that in a second. So we're created in his image in his likeness. Now, have you ever looked at somebody in uh, somebody's like kid, and you already automatically knew who the parents were? Like, I love that when like like the son or daughter, you're like, oh my gosh, I I don't I've never seen this before, but you have to be so and so's kid. Yeah, yeah, I am. And so there's something about that. God created us in His likeness, so that when people see us, they would know what Dad is like. Okay, so being created in his likeness means that we are to represent what he is like to the world. Remember, we're talking about the threefold commission. We're going to get to some good stuff here in a second. So created for relationship, but we're created to bear his image, to bear his likeness, to show people what he is like. Jesus came to put a face on God. God was this invisible person in the sky. They didn't really know what he was like except through the prophets and through his acts. But through Jesus, they could say, oh, that's what dad's like. That's what the father's like. You and I are to put a face on Jesus. Otherwise, he just remains a historical figure that they read about. That's why we're called his body. We're literally to show people what he is like. That's being made in his likeness, okay? But then he, uh, and the family resemblance is love. I mean, you know, I think that might be important uh, during, these, during, these, uh, during the upcoming elections. Let's just put it that way. I mean, maybe, yeah. What would an election look like if they ran it in the kingdom way? I can't even imagine what that would look like, so... But I'm not going to think about it right now. Okay. Um, we got to get to our characters here. And then God gave them dominion. Let's look at verse 27. Uh, it's, it's the very next verse in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he had created them. Male and female, he created them. Then he gives them this commission. And the Lord blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion. So be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and have dominion. Okay? In other words, we were created to transform the planet. So God has this authority, and here's what he did, is he gave that authority to mankind to rule. Now, a lot of people, and the Garden of Eden was perfect, right? It was absolutely amazing. I mean, Adam and Eve woke up to a park full of food. God's a God of abundance. God wasn't like, here's your little rations. My wife and I are currently doing the keto diet. It's not an abundant diet. Like, we're like, I mean... I'm like weighing food and entering everything into the carb manager thing and getting myself. I'm currently in ketosis, so. Yeah, I, I turned to my wife. I said, I'm starving. I'm, I'm literally starving right now, so. Between that and the props, I don't even know what's going to happen today. But God's an abundant God. They didn't wake up and like, hey, you only get like, you get an apple for the week, you know, and like, you're like well, ration it out because, you know, winter's coming. And there's none of that stuff. 
Um, he creates this world with this perfect, this, it was perfect in the garden, but outside the garden was not perfect. It wasn't like he created an entirely perfect planet. How do we know this? Um, if it needed to be subdued and have dominion, dominion taken over it, there were some things outside of it that, that needed to happen. So Adam and Eve, out of friendship with God, they were to bear his likeness to the world. So they were to take what was happening in their relationship with God and their, their authority that they had. They were to take that and they were to have children who would, in their relationship with God, take what was happening in the garden and spread it so that the kingdoms of this world became the kingdoms of our God. So that the glory of the Lord covered the earth like the waters cover the sea, like it was happening in the garden. They were to take that and they were to spread it. That was God's original plan. Have you ever wondered why God put a serpent in the garden? Doesn't that seem like, a, you guys remember the story in Genesis? You know, Satan comes as a, as a, in a serpent to deceive Eve. And uh, that seems like kind of a strange thing. I don't know about you. If I had like a baby nursery, you know, and we're like, like you know, you're decorating it just right, we're not going to stick like a rattlesnake in there for fun. <laughs> All right, so why does God do this, you know? And so, um, so why would a good God put a serpent in the garden? I, I believe it's kind of the wrong question. Because it presupposes that mankind was just simply put on the earth to maintain. Like God said, hey guys, I want you to be my property manager, and I'm just curious to see if you guys can overcome temptation. Okay, that's not what he did. Uh, that's not what he did. I believe the serpent was already in, on the planet, and God put the garden in the middle of the planet, and he gave us authority to drive the serpent right off the planet. There we go, all right. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a cool accent like that. I'm always jealous of those people. They can't say God. They have to say God. I'm like, that just sounds so much more powerful. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Some translations say replenish and subdue. I tell you what, it's just happening. The front row has got some kind of gadget going on there. The garden was perfect and wonderful. Outside the garden was blessed by God and given the mandate to replenish and subdue. You only replenish if something's been depleted, and you only subdue that which has been out of control. I want you guys to get this. We weren't created for maintenance. You were created for adventure. You were created for advancement. You were created to create. You were designed to be a designer. We were created to develop. I believe that every problem that planet Earth is facing, heaven has a solution for there's no emergency meetings in the Trinity like, what the heck are we going to do about the coronavirus, about the economy, about the national debt, about the elections? About, there, there's, no, there's no shortage of solutions in there. God's looking for people created in his image, in his likeness, that he can give the solutions to so that we can bring the reality of his world into this world. It's the same assignment we're going to see here in just a second. So you guys know what happened um, the serpent comes, Satan comes in the form of a serpent. Um, apparently they could talk back then, we're not going to get into all that stuff, but uh, he comes up to Eve and says, um, hey, um, God's kind of holding back on you, and you know what, you can be like God without God. You can know good and evil apart from him. You can have a life of meaning apart from God. I want you guys to get this, just like an oil lamp needs oil to produce light, just like a gasoline-powered car, I have to say that now because of Tesla, a gasoline-powered car needs gas in order to go. The Christian needs God in order to function properly. God at the center of our life was how we were created. I mean, people create cars so that they need gas. Apart from that, they're just not going to work properly. They may not be able to like, glide down a hill or something or sit and have some fun, but they're not going to function properly. You may be able to have a little bit of fun in life, but it's not going to be the way the designer designed you to function. 
So here's what happens. Uh, Adam and Eve, they, they believed the lie of the enemy. They were deceived and said, you know what? We can live like God without God. We can be like God. We don't need him. And so here's what happened. The authority that man had was given over to the devil. Romans 6 says that you become a slave to whomever you obey. And uh, the slave master gets uh, all the possessions of the slaves. And so they had the authority to subdue and to take over. And so here's what happens is Satan begins to be called the God of this world. Why? He's got the authority. If you're just listening to this and not watching it, I encourage you to go to YouTube and watch it. It's going to make a whole lot more sense with the visuals here. He's called the ruler of this world in John 12, 31. He's called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. Where did he get the power from? He got the authority that was given to man. Now he gave it, we gave it over to Satan. And so for 4,000 years, Satan ruled the earth. 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus. Uh, oppression ruled the earth. And instead of the light getting brighter and brighter from the Garden of Eden and spreading, things got darker and darker. Then Isaiah, uh, he prophesied this. A light appeared in the midst of the darkness. In this little insignificant town of Bethlehem, a light shone right there. And uh, do you remember the temptation of uh, Jesus? So th- okay, we're going to make this Jesus right now. We're going to move him front and center. A light has shone right in the, uh, come right into the planet. And then in Luke chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus. Satan gives Jesus. So Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He's basically doing keto. And so... Um, he, uh, he's fasting for 40 days, and it says, and he was weak, okay, at the end of that. And then Satan comes to him at his weakest point and tempts him with three temptations. But look at this one temptation, Luke chapter 4, verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. Now, who delivered it over to them? Adam and Eve. Deliver this authority. Jesus didn't correct him and say, oh, you big liar. No, Satan actually had the keys to planet Earth. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Satan's basically saying, listen, I know why you came, and I've got what you have. You're coming to get the keys back. I've got what you want, and you've got what I want. What did Satan want? He wanted worship. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be exalted. And Jesus answered in verse 8, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Satan was not happy with this. He did not get what he wanted. He did not get the worship of God. And so he, he tries to kill Jesus several times. The Sea of the Galilee sends storms. He inspires people to like kill Jesus early and walk him off the cliff and all those type of things. And Satan's thinking, if I could just get rid of this guy, he'd never get it back. If I could just get rid of the Messiah, kill the Messiah, not realizing that by killing the Messiah, that was how the Messiah was going to get it all back. But that's what we're getting to here. So Satan, he, uh, he crucifies Jesus. Uh, he inspires the Romans to crucify Jesus. He thinks he's got it. But then something interesting happens while Jesus is in the grave. Here's how Paul puts it. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. So somehow the Holy Spirit took Jesus' body and transformed it so he had authority over sin and sickness. But while he was in hell, here's a couple interesting things. While Jesus was in hell, he actually, he, some people teach that Jesus was down there and tortured and all sorts of craziness. Guys, that's just not in the Bible. People are just using their stupid imaginations, okay? Jesus went down there in victory. Jesus went down there and kicked butt. He went down there and took back the keys. Let's read it in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 9. Uh, caution, some graphic language from the Bible about the approach, okay? Not like, not like cuss words, but it's pretty strong what happened here. 
Ephesians 4, 7 through 9, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, now he's quoting an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's going to get graphic when I explain you what it means. And saying, okay, he... In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, prophets, gifts. So where does this verse come from? Here's a good thing to do. Whenever the New Testament quotes an Old Testament verse, sometimes it's good to go up and look up the context of what was happening in that Old Testament passage. It gives us a little more clue to... You know, if someone were to say four score and seven years ago, it's a good thing to recognize. Oh, this was Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. You know, you, that one little phrase pulls up a whole imagery, right? And so the, the people in Bible times, they knew the Bible so well, they could just quote a little phrase and everyone would fill in the blank. They didn't have entertainment. They had the Bible, all right? So listen to, the, uh, listen to what happened in there. So he's saying this is this Psalm 68. This scenario is what happened when Jesus descended into hell. Psalm 68, verse 1, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts the fire, as wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God, and may they be happy and joyful. Here comes the verse that we're getting ready to quote. The chariots of God are tens of thousands, and thousands of thousands the Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your chain, in your train, you received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Here's this picture that's going on. And so it's a picture of a conquering king, and in his train, in, you know, in his like victory procession behind him are these captives. We actually, uh, archaeology has actually dug up uh, like, like, like ancient paintings and wall drawings and stuff from this time. And here's a, it's an ancient practice. This is where it gets a little graphic. You actually see a little bit of picture in this, the Old Testament, where a conquering king would bring shame to the leader of the other armies. And so you remember that one time where um, the uh, leaders of Israel were uh, defeated and they uh, cut out the back of their pants so that their bare butt was showing? Remember that? And they had to walk back in shame with their butt showing? You guys remember that? It's, it's, in the, you're like, it's in the Old Testament, all right? All the junior hires are like, I'm doing that for devotions tomorrow. <laughs> so they would do shameful things like that, but the, the, the Romans actually did stuff more, more than that. So what they would do is they would strip them naked, they would, they would bind their hands, and they would put a hook in their jaw. And so they would be tied together in this procession. And so when the conquering army came back into their town, they had this victory procession of this defeated foe. Jesus, the, the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians picks up this imagery and says, this is what Jesus did to the enemy before the conquering world. Listen to the language in Colossians 2. It gets even more graphic. When you were, Colossians 2, 13 through 15 in the message. When you were stuck in your old sin life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. When Jesus went to hell, he was not going down there being tortured and all these things. He went down there, disarmed their authority, took it back, and before all the watching invisible world, all the angels, all the demons, they all know that it is finished. 
they all know what happened. They all know that the enemy is a defeated foe. It was, a, it was on display. I think in the uh, NIV translation of Colossians 2, it says he made a public spectacle of them before the invisible world. You guys have to know, it, like in heaven and hell, there's no question about what happened. The question is here on earth, and the question is actually here in this church. What actually happened? What authority has actually happened? Psalm 23 says, you have broken the teeth of evil. Uh, Revelation 20 talks about the cross, uh, the, the devil being bound with a chain, and he no longer has any power. That's, that's the whole picture of the millennium. What's going on there? This is a picture of what happened in the cross. Psalm 23, you have broken the teeth of evil. This was an expression of the shepherds. And so imagine a shepherd. He's got, uh, remember that in Psalm 23, it says, your rod and your staff will come for me. Well, what was the rod? It was kind of like this long thing with a club on the end. And so um, if dogs would come and attack the sheep, there's no way the guy could go and kill every single dog before they get a whole bunch of sheep. But what could a shepherd do? He could take that club and swing it, and he could break the teeth of the sheep so that even though they weren't dead, I'm sorry, break the teeth of the dog. <laughs> Boy, there's some bad theology that just got put out in the atmosphere there. Thank you, Wesley, for listening, my beloved son. The shepherd would take the club and break the teeth of the dogs, the bad dogs, trying to eat the sheep. Why? He didn't have to kill them, but he could disarm them. There's nothing that they could do to the sheep once they, were, once they had no more teeth. The Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion. God has broken the teeth of the enemy. He can still roar. He can still sound scary. He can still intimidate. But for the believer, he has no authority. The only power the enemy has against you is deception, the same thing that he had with Adam and Eve. He didn't have any authority to, de to defeat them. He had to deceive them to give them their authority. And when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. Guys, the invisible world knows all this. Heaven and hell is saying, will you, will you know this? The reason he's the father of the lies is because his power is gone. If he had power, he could do as he pleases. You guys know that. If he, was, if he just had power, I mean, but he has to work through people. He's, a, he's the great illusionist. So Jesus died on the cross. We are, we are circling in for a landing here. As Jesus died on the cross, he went into hell. He took back the keys of authority. Uh, Revelations 1 says he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The, the whole thing. He overcome the, overcame the whole thing. And listen to Matthew 28. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appearing to his disciples. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he gives them these last instructions. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How much authority? If Jesus has all authority, it means the devil has... What's he saying? I got it all back. I got it all back. Remember how we started this whole thing in Genesis 1? I'm recommissioning you with that same commission. Go and transform the planet one disciple at a time. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Notice he didn't say make disciples in nations. He said make disciples of nations. Jesus actually has it on his mind to save entire nations. It's interesting, in Matthew 25, it says there'll be sheep nations and goat nations. Sheep nations are those who followed him. Goat nations are the ones who didn't. In a Psalm something, it says that... Um, uh, ask of me that I will give you nations as your inheritance. It's speaking of the Messiah as his inheritance would have entire nations. Guys, I want you to get this. Our assignment is not to just get some people saved. 
Okay, it involves that. We have to transform hearts at a time, but God actually wants us to transform the culture until the glory of God covers this earth once again like the waters cover the sea. You're the new garden. I just came up with that one. You're the new garden, and outside is chaos, and it needs to be subdued. It needs to take dominion. And I'm talking about taking it through force, and we're going to go march, and we're going to storm, we're going to do those things. You may need to march. You may need to storm, but instead, you, uh, what more, it's more powerful is you need to love. We have a man coming here in October um, who he has had, he's won over 2 million Muslims to the Lord. He's, he's, he's had his life in danger several times where they've come to hunt him down and been at gunpoint. He thought this was it, and God would work a miracle. And it's interesting. He got, uh, he got injured recently, and he had dozens of imams from all over the world saying, we're praying for you. Isn't it interesting that a man could love that much? I mean, there's been stories of when they, they came in to kill him, he would grab them and kiss them, and the power of God would fall on all of them, and they would get saved. That's a guy who understands authority. So Jesus says, I've got it all back. Now I want you guys to go. What's he doing? He's given us back the authority. He says, I've given you authority over every evil spirit, every sickness, every, evil, every disease. Heal the, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, go and end oppression. He said, destroy the works of the devil. End human trafficking. End corruption in our government. Love the unlovely. Love your enemies. Overcome evil with good. What if the only thing lacking in our city is just more goodness? You overcome evil with good. Transform cities, families, nations. Many of us have been working from the wrong job description. We've been trying to make ourselves holy, and we're asking God to change the planet. God said he would make you holy and told you to transform the planet. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. I'm going to close with two stories. This first one is ridiculous. I need to preface this story was I have not always been this saved. Okay, and so this story is true in every detail. Um, I'm not recommending what is happening in this story, nor proud, maybe a little proud. Okay, ready? Some of you heard the story. This is the physics test story. I went to the University of Michigan. And in that, they, they need Jesus too, all right? For goodness sakes. So judgmental. Listen, if this guy can kiss Muslims, <clears throat> anyway. So I'm up there, you know, as a missionary to, to the University of Michigan. And so we had this physics professor. I was pre-med, and we had this physics professor, and he got a grant from NASA. But in order to renew the, the grant, he had to teach the lowly freshman and sophomore uh, physics class. And so he really didn't give a rip about us, and he was a terrible professor. And so he, uh, I went to the University of Michigan. I went to the Dearborn campus. There's also the big Ann Arbor campus, who the professor taught up there as well. And so he literally, this is what a, a class would be like. He's up there writing all these formulas on the board, and he, like we get to the end of it, and he's like, oh, "Hold on, I did that wrong. I did the whole thing wrong." Like, we'll come back, we'll fix it tomorrow. Like, we're furiously taking notes, so we're confused. And it's literally like that, like every other session. So we're panicking coming for the first exam. And so I thought, you know what? I know some professors they put college exams on uh, in the library, like old exams. So I went up to Ann Arbor and I, I looked up this professor. And they had, he had his old exams there. So I copied off all the exams. And so I'm studying kind of from the book and from my notes. And I'm kind of looking at the exam a little bit, but not totally paying attention to it. 
So we get to the first exam, and I'm realizing it's the exact same exam that he'd put up in Ann Arbor. He's now using them in Dearborn. So I come up with this bold strategy. I'm not going to class anymore. I'm not going to study. I'm not going to learn physics. I'm pushing all my chips to the center of the table and betting it that exam number two is going to be the same as the ones up in Ann Arbor. How many of you guys recognize this is a bold strategy? Just so you know, the curve on that, when, uh, you know, like, like, the, like the highest score was like a 30% on that first exam, and that became the A. Okay, like, like people are flunking, they're losing their minds, they're crying, you know, all this pressure for med school and stuff. And so, <clears throat> where's Baker? We don't know where Baker is. Baker's not in class. And so I show up for exam number two, and um, I'm ready for the Ann Arbor exam. They, sh- sh- they give it to us. It's the Ann Arbor exam. Ace it, 100%. So now people were like, who is this physics god, you know, who somehow is able to transcend? Like everyone else is like getting in 20s and 30%. I'm at the 100% mark, so word gets out. So exam number three comes in. I come in with some swag. They're like, shh, there he is. It's the physics god. I'm like, I'm just a man, you know. And so, like literally, and so... And so there, there, there were some cheating scams going on. So the professor's randomly picking people to switch seats and stuff like this. And so there comes time for the final exam. This is where it gets a little bad here. It comes time for the final exam, and it's cumulative. And so it's, uh, it's, it's you know, the first three exams plus the new material. So it's all, all old and the new. I don't know anything about physics. <laughs> and so... Um, people are literally stressed out. I, mean, I remember walking by the study groups. People were crying. I mean, they weren't really studying. They're just like processing. They're just like, I'm going to flunk it. I'm not going to get to med school. And I'll stop. So I show up, and uh, the exam is cumulative. I think we had like two hours for the final. I get it, and it's the exact same final as Ann Arbor. And so I finish it in 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> this is where it gets a little bad here, okay? I haven't always been this safe. And so, um, so we had like the theater seating. You know how when you stand up, the seat goes, dum, 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 dum. Right? So I plan on it being dramatic. So I pop out of my seat. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, that's the physics guy. Like, like how could he be done so early? It's not humanly possible, you know, renting their garments. And so, so I took my time on that walk for my seat, the professor. And I said loud enough so everybody in the room could hear, I was hoping this time you'd challenge me. And I slap it on the desk and walk out. How many of you guys are glad that guy's not pastoring this church? Okay, I've I've improved since then a little bit. Any situation you walk into, you already have the answers because he lives inside of you. You don't have to understand physics. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to understand the one who has the answers. Ephesians 2 says that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He prepared good works in advance for you to do. Your destiny isn't so much engineered as it's discovered. You're literally stepping into assignments that your whole life has been preparing you for if you'll partner with his authority. Guys, the pressure's off. Guys, I wasn't sweating those physics exams. I wasn't even showing up to class. I thought that was pretty good. 
What's it look like to fight from victory instead of for victory? It's recognizing you have the answers and resources to ace whatever test is in front of you. You'll never face anything in your own strength. And when the enemy comes to you and says, you don't have the authority of Jesus. You're, you're, not, you're not walking in this. You know, he's going to test your feelings. What are you going to say? In the name of Jesus. And it says he'll flee from you. Guys, we're going to bring heaven to earth and the kingdoms of this world. Religion, family, education, business, arts and entertainment, media, government, medicine, technology. It's an impossible assignment, but Jesus actually wants us to make disciples of nations, not just a few disciples in nations. Entire nations will be saved. And the only thing that makes it possible is he said, I will be with you always. So Jesus does something interesting. Under the new covenant... He now lives inside of us. That's what makes the whole impossible assignment possible. I will be with you always. How is that possible? He moved in. And he brought his dad with him. And the Holy Spirit. And all of his gifts and all of his fruit. And he said this in Colossians 1. Christ in you is the hope of glory. What's glory? It's the manifest presence and goodness of God. The only hope that this world has of seeing glory is it being manifested in the image and likeness of God that we're representing. If you're trying to be supernatural, you're already in unbelief. You are supernatural. Christ lives in you, and he's given you his authority. He's just waiting for us to take it seriously. Last illustration. I recently got to ride and drive in a friend's Ferrari. I drove it like driving Miss Daisy. He drove it like we were being chased by an angry assassin with our name. <laughs> now, you can admire a Ferrari from the outside. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a rolling piece of art. I mean, it's gorgeous from every angle. It looks fast just sitting in park. If you sit inside the interior, you can admire it from there. The carbon fiber and leather interior looks like it was put together by an OCD Swiss watchmaker. Every stitch, every detail, absolute perfection. But to experience a Ferrari, you have to access the power of the engine. Enzo Ferrari, the starter of Ferraris, he said that he would build an engine and put four wheels around it. The whole thing is about the engine. Ferrari will never do only electric cars. Okay? It's about the passion and the sound. <clears throat> the sound coming from the engine, it produces such a glorious, high-pitched scream, greater octave range than Mariah Carey, it sounds like an F1 car every time. It's a, it's a mid-engine car, so literally screaming right behind you. You will never need to listen to the radio again when you've got that car. The acceleration reminded me of that scene from Star Wars where they would go to light speed. Remember, it was like, poof. That's what it felt like. It felt like a gorilla sitting on your chest, but it was a good, it was a good gorilla. You know, riding in a Ferrari, it changes you. I felt like I became more of a man. <laughs> I actually never had to shave before the Ferrari, and since then I've had to shave every day. You can do things inside of Ferrari that you can't do while on the outside looking in. You know, there's a lot of people who admire Jesus from the outside. They enjoy his people and the, and the fellowship and the, and the love and what he represents and the good things Christians are doing in this world. 
Others admire Jesus from the inside, they're followers, but they're not tapping into the power that's available of that engine. Listen, you and I were created to reign. The very final picture that we have of humanity in the Bible in Revelation 22, it says, and we will reign with him. Heaven will not be an eternal church service. Thank you, Jesus. I love church. I love, I love church services. But uh, I don't know, a couple thousand year long one, I'm ready for something else. It's going to be a time of endless creativity where we're going to be co-ruling the ever-expanding universe. When he said, let there be light, scientists tell us it's never stopped because Jesus never told us stop. The universe is expanding at the speed of light, and his kids, we will, have that, we will pick up that commission of subduing and taking dominion over the entire universe together. We will reign with him. Well, you'll be endlessly creative, fulfilling the things that you were most like to do with him. But we access this unlimited power supply when we simply become aware of him. I think a lot of people are thinking, I got to get better. I got to do this and this. By raising our awareness of him, by recognizing our helpless dependence on him, we begin to tap into the Christ in us, the God of limitless supply. So here's what I want to do. I want to uh, just close out with this thought. If there's anyone listening online, anyone in this room, um, maybe you've just been admiring Christianity from the outside, and you're like, listen, I don't have an inside experience of what that's like. I've never driven a car like that. I've never experienced Christianity from the inside. And you're here, and you're like, listen, I need that. I, I never realized we were just created to, to rule the planet. Maybe this gave you a better picture. Maybe God's been tugging on your heart for a long time, but you're like, listen, I need Jesus. I want an inside view of it. If you're here today and you're like, I want that. I want to follow Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to do something bold. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Is there anybody here? You're like, I need Jesus. We need this today. Everybody in this room has at one point had to bow their knee. Is there anybody in here? Anybody online? We'll, uh, we'll, we'd love to connect with you in, in those ways. For those of you who are on the inside... And there's not a person in here, myself included, who has tapped into the fullness of what Jesus has paid for. So I want us to just uh, take some time. I want to just pray through a couple different areas of our life of where we need heaven to invade earth, where we need the reality of his world to invade our world, because we're the new garden. It starts with us. So what's an area of your life you need heaven to invade? Let's just take um, a, few, a few moments in each one of these. If you, if you need heaven to invade your health, let's just begin to pray. If you're watching online or you're watching this on replay, you need heaven to invade your health. Let's just begin to recognize that we're not begging God to do it. He, whoa, who put that there? He told us. You know, I, I'm going to end up doing that again. I'm not resurrecting Satan. I'm leaving him laying down there, but just taking, taking him out a little farther. But if you're here and you're, we recognize, Jesus, you gave us authority over sickness. It's interesting in the Bible, they never asked God to heal somebody. Jesus told them to heal the sick. So they, Jesus said things like this, stretch out your hand, take up your mat. If you've got a neck injury, shoulder injury, uh, terminal illness, Jesus said, speak to the mountain and tell it to move. And so let's just begin to do that right now. Lord, we just thank you that you have authority over sickness. And we speak to that cancer. We speak to ALS. We speak to back injuries. We speak to MS, we speak to autism, and we tell it to go in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're not striving. We recognize you already said yes. You've given us this authority, and so we speak to those mountains. We tell them to move in the name of Jesus. 
to relationships. Uh, maybe there's a family relationship, a relationship at work, a, a marriage relationship, whatever it might be. Lord, we just speak peace to those storms. Make us love in those situations. Make us look like love. Guys, when you change, the whole atmosphere of that relationship changes. And so, Lord, we ask you to change it in the name of Jesus. Change us. Open up hearts, God. Let there be reconciliation. Let there be forgiveness. Lord, for our finances, God, we want to have more than enough so that we can be a blessing to other people. Guys, it's okay to want more money so you can make more impact. It's not greedy to desire to be generous. And so, God, we ask you that you would bless us with all the money that we can handle properly. <laughs> God, give us witty inventions and ideas and let us become excellent in our workplaces so that we can be promoted. Lord, pray for uh, opportunities. Pray for wisdom and in investing. God, let us be wise with money so that we can be generous. Let's close out praying for our city. God, let your kingdom come, your will be done in Columbus. Lord, in the businesses, in the healthcare, Lord, in the inner city where, where violence is. Lord, we pray for our city that your kingdom would come, that you would give kingdom people heaven solutions to earthly problems. Give it to unsaved people. Whoever it comes, God, let your kingdom come. You guys know that God often used unsaved people throughout history when Christians wouldn't step up. So, Lord, we just, we just say yes. Let us be a church that says yes to this city. Lord, we pray for our mayor that you give him wisdom, that you protect his life, that you surround him with godly counsel. Lord, we pray for our president that you would give him wisdom, that you would surround him with godly counsel, that you would give him encounters in the night, give him dreams from heaven. Lord, let prophets surround him and give him timely words that are from the third heaven and not the second heaven. And Lord, we pray for our country that there would be kingdom solutions would come forward to bring uh, unity, to bring life to bring an end to these ridiculous looting and riots. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who serve in our police departments, Lord, that you would protect them. Lord, we honor them. Let's just stand and let me just pray for a blessing.